Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Monday, October 2nd. We are here live. It is time for a free-for-all. Jump here and join me. Jump in here and join me. Phone lines are open. 855-950-3835. we got a half hour to take some calls, so jump in here early. At the bottom of the hour, Tyson Farr from MyMedic will be joining us. We'll be talking about the MyMedic bag and some specials we've got going on there. So stay tuned for that, but jump in now and... Uh, Let's get to some calls, 855-950-3835. I've got some things I want to talk about. Um, I think it's pretty starting to become more clear about where we're going with this economy. And I don't think we're going to feel any kind of a soft landing. It's looking more and more like this could be a pretty deep recession, um, I started thinking about the pattern of recessions in, in, I don't know if I'd call it recent history, over the last couple of decades. And it seems like they've always gotten worse. I was trying to figure out if that's just in my head or, you know, I can go back to the first recession I can really remember being in business would have been in the early 90s. And then we had... Um, we had a couple pullbacks in the late 90s. Then we had the uh, dot-com bust um, early 2000s. That one felt really bad for me. Um, I had just started learning about investing. I was really starting to get into uh, investing strategies, and I had a little bit of money to invest, and I got hammered in that one. I I was just starting to invest in things and I didn't understand the market that we were, there were a lot of indications we were already near the top, but that's a pretty clear pattern. Most people tend to get into investing in things when they're hot and it's the worst time, just like it's the worst time to get into business, but I did it and I lost a bunch of money. And it made me a little gun shy. And then, uh, you know, I came back in the early 2000s and started investing in the market again. And um, we got hammered pretty hard in 08. And it seems to me like, and I don't know that I've ever really thought about this before, but the pattern has been uh, each recession seems to get a little deeper, a little longer, a little worse. Uh, 08, 09 was a tough one. No doubt. People really got hurt in that one. Uh, we started a business into that recession, somewhat on purpose, knowing that it's much better to start at the bottom of a market than the top. And we are seeing now what happens when you start at the top of a market. Um, It's really tough when things turn. We are seeing a lot of companies go out of business. We're seeing companies go out of business that have been through recessions before. We're seeing a lot of people that have only been in business since the last recession, and it's been such a long time, there are a lot of them. They're really getting hammered. But I'm seeing businesses with lots of experience that have been through this before, and they're still not making it this time. There seems to be a lot of striking going on, more so than I ever remember at one time. Um, A lot of unions going out on strike right now or threatening strike or talking about strike. That seems... A little odd. Um, 
one of the things I would say about a time like this in business and you know, we have to be, if we're in business, we have to worry about how this economy is going to affect our business. And then we also have to worry about how it's going to affect us personally. The best thing I can say about a time like this, and I've been saying it, but I'm going to keep saying it, is you have to focus on what you have some control over and what you can change. And it seems to me like there are a lot of people who double down on the exact opposite during times like this. It's one of the reasons I, I bring these groups in or I debate with these groups or I point out what they're doing is they seem to be doubling down on the opposite. The, there are a lot of people when things go wrong or when things get difficult, they double down on blaming everybody and everything else. And that's what these groups are doing. And they use the fear to recruit people into the group. Like I said, that this, this uh, NOAA association has 40,000 Facebook members. Now, they try to make it sound like those are members of their association. And the way I see that is if you're not paying, you're not really a member. But I will tell you, I, I haven't been able to build 40,000 people in a Facebook group. It took us a long time to get to 25,000 on the health side. I don't know that I've ever had a trucking group that got anywhere near 10,000. But these these groups are able to get people at least interested and involved. It seems like an easier argument to make. It seems like it's much easier to convince people that this isn't your fault. It's everybody else's fault. And if you join us, we'll fix it. My approach is the exact opposite. You have got to take a hard look in the mirror right now and say, I am not going to spend any time thinking about, complaining about, or trying to fix something I don't have control over. I need to spend every minute of every day working on the things I do have control over. You know, when I ask these groups, you know, you're demanding to see somebody else's numbers. You don't even have your own. They don't even want to talk about that. I can't understand why they're wasting time trying to force somebody else to do something when they haven't fixed the things that are under their control. And it's my opinion, you should fix everything under your control before you try to force somebody else to change something. And honestly, what I've found in business is you'll never get to everything you can control. So why would we spend any time trying to change somebody else or something else or some law or some regulation when there is still work we can do on ourselves? Like I said, now I will say this, there are owner operators. I know that there's not much more they can do in their own business. And that's a good place to be. They've worked on you know, if you're a one truck or you're a kind of a solo entrepreneur, you are the only employee of your business. Then I do think it's possible to get to that place where you've done everything you can. And that's a wonderful place to be. And then if you want to go try fixing somebody else, go ahead. Most people don't, though. When you're trying to grow a business, you never get to that point. I've been in business my whole life, and I still look around every day and say, boy, if we could make improvements there, if we could fix this, if we could spend some time on this, we'd get even better. And sometimes it's just a matter of time.
So if there's something you can still work on, you should be. A um, couple things going on right now, some numbers I've seen that really points this out. Fuel is going up again, and it doesn't look like it's going to stop. The U.S. is not producing. We're not drilling. We're putting restrictions on the oil industry, and we are. We have the potential to be the biggest producer in the world. We just were a couple years ago, and now we're not, and that is having an impact, and OPEC decided they'll cut production as well, and prices are going back up. I also saw this morning the numbers are showing there is a bigger and bigger split between contract and spot market rates. The split is now 74 cents a mile. Contract rates are paying 74 cents a mile higher than spot market rates. Now, that number is kind of significant to me because I can never remember the exact number. But when I signed on my first truck to a carrier, my line haul rate was somewhere in the low 70s. I can't remember if it was 70 or 71 or 72. It was right around there. Let's say it was 74 just to be safe. I was running a business on that 74 cents a mile. Now that's the difference between the spot market and the contract market. So I've said many times, it's difficult to get contract freight with one truck. It's not impossible. It's out there. And if you focus on it, you can get it. A lot of the people we talk to and talk about on the show and show numbers for, they've got some contract freight. They've got a pretty good mix. Here's the other thing to remember, though. You don't have to get the contract freight to get contract freight rates, or at least better rates than pure spot market. We've even talked about how you do it. The brokers have contract freight. They take that contract freight and put it on the spot market, but it almost never makes the load boards. This is the freight we've talked about in the past. This is their best customer or customers. These are the loads they want to protect they pay better. They need to make sure that these get handled by good carriers. So they tend to only give this freight to the carriers that have built relationships with brokers. That's one of the ways to get a little closer to that contract freight. And yet I have people just screaming at me. You can't build relationships with brokers. They're just out to screw everybody. 74 cents a mile sitting out there waiting for somebody to go get it. But you don't get it by bitching about the brokers being your biggest enemy. You don't get to that freight by accusing the brokers of just trying to rip everybody off and being scumbags. They're human beings. We all are. We're all trying to run a business. Some people aren't very ethical in business. I get that. But it, it isn't, you can't pick out who's unethical by what role they play. There are horribly unethical truck drivers and diesel mechanics and freight brokers and shippers and receivers. We're all humans. You have to remember that. But there are also, and I believe it's the majority. I believe it's a big majority of people who want to do the right thing. I really do. And when you find them, and you work with them, and you build relationships, things get better. 
So working on fuel mileage and working on building relationships and understanding the market to get better rates are two really powerful strategies that honestly you could spend a year on easy. You could focus on those two things for the next year and probably not run out of things to do on those two alone. And I will tell you, those two can save your business. If you start to work on those two things, that can be the difference between making it through a tough time or going out of business. Just on two things. Yeah, one of the things I I started working on, I'm getting prepared to do some new programs. I'll kind of toss it out there so you get an idea of what we're talking about. We're still developing these programs and we still, uh, it's going to be a little while. Um, I'll say months, but not, not more than that. I'm working on a concept of, of group coaching. So I can't really do one-on-one time. It, It doesn't work. I've tried it in the past. One, I have to charge an awful lot of money. And two, I get so tied up with that kind of um, activity that I can't get anything else done. So I've been looking for a model that allows me to work more closely with people, but not as intensive as just one-on-one. I want to be able to help more people. And I'm looking at two areas. I want to help people move through their business model in trucking. So I want to help drivers become owner operators and do it correctly, whether that means they lease to a carrier, which is probably the best way to get started, or they've got enough business experience that maybe they could get their own authority. And we're finishing up a course on that now, getting your own authority. So I'll have courses that take you all the way through the whole process of becoming a small carrier. And what we're looking at is creating a group coaching program where it's not just one-on-one, but it's not me generically trying to teach stuff. So over the years, I've been asked for the advanced course. You know, even when we were doing the CMC, people would come back year after year after year. And after a while, they would say, you know, we, we think we've learned all this Where's the advanced course? And I would, I've tried several times to build an advanced course and it, I just can't. I can't put together anything I think has much value. And then it dawned on me why. The advanced course is much more individual. The course that I teach about becoming an owner operator now is very generic. It works for almost everybody. You, you make a couple little tweaks here and there and it works. And it's easy to teach to a lot of people. But every time I try to create an advanced course, I I put a lot of time and effort into it and I end up scrapping it because I just don't think there's value in it. And it dawned on me why. There there are too many individual situations and strategies and there aren't a lot of cookie cutter approaches to to the next step of growing a trucking business. So a group coaching program would give you a kind of a reasonable price that you could pay per month. And then I would do a regular schedule of uh, webinars, let's call them. Maybe it's every two weeks 
I don't know. Those are the details we're still working on and, and pricing, how much value is there? How much time do I have to do it? That's, that's my big issue right now. But I'm really trying to set my schedule up so I spend most of my time helping people. Uh, right now, I don't think there's a ton of research I need to be doing on much. Um, there's always stuff I could do, but I, I'm thinking I could help a lot more people right now by helping them not by, by more research and new projects. And I think helping people during this downturn is going to be really important. So that's why we're looking at a course like this. And, and it may be, I'm going to throw some numbers out. None of this is set in stone. It may be something like $150 a month and there's no commitment for time. Well, the only commitment is a month. Um, you pay it month by month. And in these calls, I will work directly with people to solve their problems. The difference is everybody on the call is learning. And there are a lot of people who want this kind of help, but don't want to do it themselves. They don't want to interact directly, but they could learn from listening to other people go through this. I've been studying um, other coaching programs like this. I actually paid a lot of money to a company to help me work through this idea, a lot of money. Uh, and they do this with other companies. So I got to see a lot of examples of this and it really worked well. I was surprised. I was a little skeptical about it at first, but I, I've seen this model work really well. And then you can get in and out of the program anytime you want. So let's say you get in for a month or two we work through your issues directly, or you sit and listen and you learn somebody else who has the same thing. And then you say, I think I got this. I'm going to go work on this. Well, you just drop out of the program. You're not paying anymore. And then if you work through that one and you have something else you want to learn, you can jump back in. So it will be a rotating group of people. I will not be in a group like this. I will not be teaching much of anything. It's not going to be a webinar where you show up and I talk for an hour. It's going to be a webinar where I'm there to help you work directly through your problems. And then I'll have to manage how many people I can have in a group at a time. I mean, I'm sure there will become times when we have to turn off the program because I, if I have too many people, I, I won't be able to get to somebody who may want more direct help. So we're looking at a program like that in business where I would help you with everything from how getting your first driving job, if you want. Uh, all the way through to growing a fleet as a carrier. And we'll all learn that together. There's a lot of advantages to a program like that. Uh, a lot of sharing goes on, a lot of networking. We all learn from each other. And then we'll also do a program like this for health. And this is where I've got to just make sure I have enough time. Um, but I would really enjoy if my time were spent doing this show, doing spaces, and doing these group coaching calls. Uh, if that were about 95% of my time, I think I'd really enjoy that. And I think I'd be able to help a lot of people. And then I can, you know, still have time to do research and work on other things when I need to. But I think right now, uh, I think my, my time would be best spent directly helping people in a program like this. All right, we, um, I'm going to grab a call. Phones are slow, um, but I think we're going to... Uh, 
suspend some calls for a minute here because we've got a guest coming up and then we'll open. You know what? I'm going to leave the phone lines open. If you want to call in, call in. Uh, if you've got a question for the guest, we can do that. Uh, if not, we'll get back to these calls right after the guest. I don't we're, I don't think we're going to spend a lot of time today. Um, we've talked a lot about the uh, my medic. We want to introduce some people that may have missed the first time uh, and also talk about some specials. Um, we only maybe 15 or 20 minutes with the guests. So if you want to line up your calls, go ahead and do that. 855-950-3835. We're going to grab one of those calls right now. Sean in Tennessee, welcome. Hey, thank you. How are you? Good. What can I help you with today? Um, hey, I tried calling in Friday when you had Joel and everybody there. I, I, I guess I had some questions about uh, specking on a new truck. You know, the differences in, like, say, the X-15 Cummins, for instance, um, you know, between, like, the efficiency series and the performance series gearing and things of that nature. I guess I'm a little torn. You know, what would be the best? Um, I I, I guess I've kind of set my sights on a, a new Kenworth T680, and I'm just kind of trying to decide, you know, wh- what would be the best for for performance, but still have some efficiency. So basically, what I want to do is go from I'm a single, uh, you know, basically the only guy in my business. I have a co-driver that helps me occasionally. So I have two trucks, kind of one that I drive when I'm by myself, and then one that I'll take. I kind of consider a spare, and then I'll take it if I have to do like a team run um, just because it's an auto shift and it's just easier for him to drive and get around and Got it. not okay. as busy. Um, but I've just, I'm spending a lot of money between these two trucks because I always want them right. And <clears throat> I actually use the spare truck, what I call my spare truck more probably than the primary one Okay. just because it is cheaper to run and it keeps the miles off the other one. Um, but it, it, it leaves me wanting more because it's just, uh, you know, it's a 2014 ISX T660, 10-speed auto shift, you know, 450 FT engine. You know, it's like 325 so, rears, just kind of a fleet stack. It's just, it's, it's not that fun to drive. Are, um, are either one of these trucks paid for? Uh, neither one is paid for. Neither one of them has right. very much owed on it. Um, you know, both like low interest, you know, pre today's interest rates. So tell me how much is to give um, me the year and mileage on each truck. Nothing else. Just the year and mileage and how much you owe on each one. The so one is a 2007 379 Peterbilt and that has 30,000 owed on it. And then the other one, the 660 is probably like in the mid 20s. 25, something what, like that. What year is that truck? 2014, sorry. That's a 14. How many miles are on the 379? Uh, 1.3 on the chassis, but it has a new engine in it. it. The original engine was replaced, and so it's just now got 100,000 miles on that engine, and that was two years ago. What's the average fuel mileage on that truck? Mm, I think on fuel gauges right now, it's 5.3 or 5.4. Okay. Now let's go to the 14. Um, what mm-hmm. model truck is this? T660. How many miles? Uh, about 760. 760. What's owed on this one? 24, 25,000. What's the fuel mileage on this one? 
I believe it's six three for its current thirty day. I haven't driven okay. it in a few weeks actually so until what, what, now, so I haven't. Tell me about your operation. It. What kind of freight do you pull? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't pull. I don't want to get into it too much because I know you know people are desperate to be working and making Look, money. I do you, well. You don't have to give um, details. Just tell me that you pull drive-in freight. No, but I it's just, not or whatever. I don't. But, well, it's I I pull a van of sorts, but it's a it's it's a step van. It's got a step down. So it's let's skip all that. Tell me, skip, it's not skip, a good arrow. Skip yeah. all that if you're worried about giving out too many details. Just tell me what your average weight is. That's that's all mm-hmm. I'm really looking for. Well, like the 660, I have registered at 65,000 pounds, and I probably never over 60. So that's your typical frame. So here's what I would tell you. Correct. I'm generally never over 60,000. Here's what I'm looking at. I'm a big fan of having a spare truck, but only when you can afford it. Mm -hmm. You can't afford it. These numbers are awful. I I would, I'd have to look at that 660 a lot closer why are you getting 6.3 miles to the gallon pulling fairly light and 5.3 on the other truck? This is off. You're not even reaching the average. The average in the industry is 6.6. Oh, I understand. I've listened to you for a long time. So I know, I know, I know that's the thing you would, you would get at me. It's largely due to the trailer. It's just, no, it's not, you know, environmental conditions. I got car haulers doing better than you're doing. Okay. You can't tell me your aerodynamics are worse than theirs. So I, 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 I think right. that this should be. Sorry, a, you a, you cut there for a minute. Yeah, I was going to say I've got car haulers that do that, and your aerodynamics are not worse Correct. than theirs. I've got lots of people that pull open deck kind of freight that are in the eights and above. Yes, it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're going to lose some fuel economy over a van. There's no doubt. But to be in the low fives and low sixes on two trucks you're still paying for, you are wasting a ton of money in this operation. Well, and that's hence why I want to do better. I I would be either scrapping both of these trucks, getting whatever I could out of them, and building one truck that gets about eight and a half miles to the gallon, and I could use with a team driver if I needed to. You also want to, right? Know, well, do, and that's do, where I'm at. Yeah, well, that's what needs to happen here because you're 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 just wasting a lot of money. There's a lot of money being mm-hmm. spent that does not need to be spent in this operation. Correct. You, yep. You you sound just like my wife. Good. Kudos to your wife because <laughs> she's right. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. So and, I would. Start, yeah, and I mean, so I, it, I haven't gotten to this point, but. It, like by being, you know, ignorant, like kind of going into your open. Like I started my authority, not knowing a dang thing about trucking in September of 07. And I'm still here in 2023, um, Good. but you could be doing much, you better. know, because I find things I correct. Exactly. And I mean, I, I find things I love and enjoy doing. So I don't, it's, it's, it's an enjoyment thing. And I put a lot of heart and effort into, you know, what I do and, and make it work. So, Right. But yes, I would like to see more money staying in the bank and not pulling yeah, out the stacks. And you're working hard for this money. You want to keep things it. Like that. Right. You're working hard. Correct. You've done a lot of things right, obviously, to get in with your own authority, make it all this time. You're doing a lot of things right. That's good. But you're, 
so you could be one of these, you know, operators we're talking about that are still killing it right now, still doing really good in this economy, like better than we've ever seen. You could be one of those. I can tell you have the potential to be. You need to get hyper focused on expenses. It should be what you are thinking about working on every single day until you get them under control. And the best way I can see is to either look at this 660 and see if we could reasonably get this truck to eight miles to the gallon. And that would be another call. I got to get to our guest. Um, Call me back. Let's focus Mm -hmm. on that truck. Let's take some time on a call, go through that truck, see if we think that this could be an eight or eight and a half mile per gallon truck. If it is, that's the one we keep and start working on. If it's not, you figure out how you get Mm -hmm. rid of both of these and get an efficient truck. Yeah. Yeah, and getting rid of the 379 is not going to be difficult. If either you know, one, one of is, these trucks you know, were not paid worth a lot for, at this point, but if either one of these trucks were paid for, we we would consider just keeping it. But they're not. They're costing mm-hmm. you money that you shouldn't be spending. You're spending and the idea of not putting miles on a truck that you bought to generate revenue makes no sense. This isn't some kind of classic car we hope will be higher in value in 10 years because it's got low mileage. That that doesn't happen with trucks. When you buy it, use it. No, I understand. Hell, I, my, I, I will right. tell you the most profitable time I ever had owning trucks. There was a time at FedEx where we were allowed to double dispatch our equipment, meaning if we had a, a dedicated run on the morning dispatch and we got the truck back in time for the evening dispatch, we were allowed to run both. And there was a time you were allowed to have dedicated runs, two dedicated runs on one truck. I had a truck for a while that did um, Orlando to Richmond Hill, Georgia in the morning, 543 miles, and did Orlando to Miami, another 480 miles overnight. Yeah, I put an awful lot of miles on that truck in a short period of time, but that's what you want. You want that truck out making money. So when I heard you say, well, I bought the second truck, so I don't have to put so many miles on the first truck. That's a bad idea. You are you are paying for a business asset and then not using it. Correct. Like I said, once you get a truck paid off and Mm -hmm. we're good financially and we can afford to buy another truck and keep the paid off truck. I'd love that idea. I did that for years. But there's no way you should have ever bought a second truck when you were still paying for the first one. Right. Well, and I'm one of those that gets, you know, I'm, uh, I, I could pay it off today if I, I guess I wanted to. But sometimes I just rather have the money, I guess. Yeah, than that's, you're, just, I don't know. Maybe it's some false sense of security, I is. guess. But it is. You know. there, there's the, the goal in business is always to lower our cost. If, if a truck's paid off, we can keep it. If it's not paid off, you are now paying finance charges on that, and that is an expense you don't need to be spending. Mm-hmm. You should have paid off the right. first one when you could. Work to get that one as efficient as possible, and then maybe go buy another one. So now we got to decide. Are, you know what? We're going to have to do this call on another, another time, though. I've got a guest. I'm not going to keep waiting. Um, call me back. You can call back sure. tomorrow is a good day. Um, the power hour, we all talk about right. specking trucks. So we could talk about both of these trucks. You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to get all that excited about keeping 
a 25-year-old 379 getting 5.3 miles to the gallon that you still owe $30,000 on. I can't imagine why I would it's ever think 07, about it. It's an 07, not a 9. It's an 07. Okay, it's, so 15 years. It, it's 16 years old. 16 yeah, years. 15, whatever. Yeah. yeah. With 1.3 right. million miles on it getting 5.3 miles to the gallon, and it's non-aerodynamic. That one's going to go. The problem is that's the hard one to get rid of because you owe too much on it. What, the 379? Yeah. Oh, it. I mean, it's worked well over what I owe on it. But oh, okay. It's, it's, I hope so. I know the market's not what it was, but it's still, I mean, it would, it would have no problem moving it. I mean, then I'd move it. And that's why I'm open to doing it because I I'd know I can get rid of it. So. I see no reason to keep that truck. None whatsoever. That's a money pit. All right. Well, and that's what's becoming <clears throat> obvious. So. Yeah. So the question you could call back tomorrow on is, can we do anything with this 660 or should we get rid of that and start over? So why don't you call us back tomorrow right. and uh, we will start to explore that because that's the next step. All right. We are uh, bringing in our guest. We're being joined by Tyson Farr from MyMedic. Tyson, good morning. Hello, Kevin. Great to have you here. Sorry, I went a little over there. I was uh, beating somebody up on their business decisions. <laughs> hey, it's okay. We all need a little beating with our business decisions sometimes. Yeah, I'm, uh, I enjoy it, too. <laughs> <laughs> I had the pleasure of listening to the last 15 minutes. I think you did a, a great job. Well, thank you. Thank you. Now we're going we're gonna to shift gears and change lanes and talk about something uh, very important that we don't talk about enough, um, safety. Uh, safety, um, being prepared. This is something I'm talking a lot more about lately, being prepared in life. You know, our world has gotten, it is just a mess. I hate to be so pessimistic, but I had to stop watching the news because it was just making me crazy and there doesn't seem to be much we can do about it. So I decided to ignore most of the news today. But but I, I'm really starting to focus a lot more on helping people be prepared for things. You know, here's something to think about. We have become spoiled in this country in – it was in a good way. And unfortunately, those days are over. I mean, I am shocked at what I'm seeing happen in our economy. And here's an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, I live near Portland. I will not go to Portland anymore. The place has become a hellhole. Um, but I, was, I follow what's going on in Portland. Um, I have some text alerts set up. And the other day, I got a text alert that they were completely out of ambulances in Portland, and they were three calls behind that wow. they could not respond to. Some guy somewhere in Portland had his arm stuck in a pasta machine. That doesn't sound like fun. And they were just telling him, sorry, we can't respond. We don't have an ambulance yet. Wow. Isn't that scary to think that's happening in our country? That's like third world stuff. Oh, it's so scary. So, so scary. We can't depend on these institutions for much of anything anymore. The police are all shorthanded. They're not showing up anytime soon. Um, obviously, now paramedics, first responders, we're shorthanded um, with those. I keep reading more and more of these stories. It, it 
really the only solution here, you know, my theme when I opened this morning was about controlling things you can control and ignoring things you can't. Mm -hmm. I I would love to say that I could have some impact on what's going on in our country right now, but I can't. I can't stop all the people flooding across the southern border. I can't stop the fact that crime is rampant in our cities. I can't create more ambulance drivers in in Portland. There's nothing. I could go lobby the government. I could spend 12 hours a day on those problems, and I'd never make a dent. But I can look at those things and say, what do I need to do to make sure they don't impact me? Sure. And that's what I'm focused on. And um, your product and training and the specials we've got today, um, that helps us be better prepared. I'd like to know that maybe I could take care of some of this myself if the ambulance isn't on its way. Um, And we could help other people. You know, I, I love the idea of truck drivers kind of becoming this first responder crew out on the highway. So would I. I think it's a great concept and a great idea. That's why we're here partnering with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I, I, I always say I don't watch a lot of TV, but in the wintertime, I, I have been watching more and more. But I, I really watch almost exclusively stuff like documentaries. And I hate the word reality TV because most of that is just total garbage, has nothing to do with reality whatsoever. But there are some shows like OP Live where they're riding live with the police. Um, that's not scripted. You kind of get to see what's really happening out there. Um, I watch one called Night Watch, where oh, it's yeah. first, first responders in New Orleans. You know, that one's not live, but so they can kind of pick and choose what they want you to see. But you're still seeing what's really happening. And it's just shocking to me how many times they get to one of these accidents on the highway and there's more victims than they have people. And they're all scrambling, running around and, you know, they're getting there 30 minutes after the accident happens sometimes. Uh, So this idea of having some truck drivers out there with really, really good equipment, like the same stuff the first responders are using, and just a little bit of training. And I think it could make a huge difference. It sure has. You know, our company, MyMedic, has been around now for about seven years. The idea has come about, you know, 10, 11 years ago. And just real quick, Kevin, I know you and I have discussed this before, but I'd just like to share kind of on top of what you've already said and why we even started this company. My medic is a family owned business owned by four desired siblings and their mother who lost their father in a car accident 10 and a half, 11 years ago. Wow. This car accident happened in New Mexico where it wasn't really in the middle of nowhere, but it wasn't in the city either. So the EMS response time after the initial 911 call was 25 minutes. Wow. Um, That's how long it took them to get there. And unfortunately, he was pronounced dead on the scene. I think it's human nature to desire to see someone in need, just like you were saying, and want to help. But the opposite is also true that if you don't know what to do, isn't it so much easier to just drive by? Of course. Someone else will stop. Right. EMS will help them. So I think we created this false narrative of, oh, help is always right there. So our goal was never, ever to replace 
the next echelon of care, EMS, law enforcement, doctors, hospitals. We are not here to replace Right, them. right. We are here to buy individuals time. Buy that individual time because EMS has told the family that those bystanders who wanted to help didn't have any gear. None of them had any training. And if one person, one, would have known how to stop a bleed, we would still be here today. Tyson, I think I so talked about my story the first time you were on. Uh, I, I, you know, you I did. sometimes think I've just led a blessed life. I, I swear, I don't know how sometimes I get so lucky um, I had a horrendous motorcycle accident when I was in the military and I, I would have bled out. I mean, I was bleeding from my leg. I, I was actually bleeding internally as well. Not much you can do about that on the scene, but the two of them, I, I would have expired. And it was out on a country road late at night. It was raining. Um, the response time was horribly slow getting somebody out there. And I was just fortunate enough to hit a medic and, and he was prepared and, and he saved my life. There's no doubt about it. Um, that could have been, it wasn't all that complicated either. What he, all he really needed to do to buy me time was stop the bleeding. And he did. And exactly what we know now is that is something that can be taught to, just regular everyday people without a lot of medical training. Can we stop the bleed oh. and buy them time? Oh my gosh, without a doubt. You know, I don't come from any military background, any EMS background, none at all. In fact, I would say I'm a, I am a my medic success story. Or I was initially brought in just to pack the first aid kits. And this was, again, six and a half years ago. And I quickly started to fall in love with first aid. And Google and YouTube became my best friends as I started searching up every one of these products, how to use them, what wow. they did, when to use them. And, and little by little, I started becoming confident. That's really the word, is that I was like, oh, my gosh, if there's a car accident, I can do something. Right. Or if my wife gets hurt while we're at home or my little 18 month old girl has a, a, a bad injury, like what am I supposed to do? And now all of a sudden I've empowered myself with this knowledge and then equipped myself with this proper gear to do something in these situations. I think when you're outside of the first aid industry, looking in, it doesn't really make sense. You're right. used to like the 25, $30, Amazon, Walmart kits, <laughs> which are perfect They're, for like your minor, minor, minor. Really that minor. Little boo-boos. Right, right. Exactly. We, like if you want 50 Band-Aids, perfect. And, you know, that are going to last 12 minutes. Awesome. Yeah, and, and you get four Tylenol. Like, come on. Everybody already has Tylenol exactly. somewhere in their house. You know, it, I, I get it. These things make you sure. feel a little better. You're kind of prepared. But I will tell you. Um, prior to having a MyMedic bag, when we just had that typical, you know, little $30 first aid kit, and I um, shoved my hand inside of a garbage bag once to push it down, and there was a broken bottle in there, and I sliced my thumb down to the mm -hmm. bone. I mean, you could see it, and it was bleeding like mad. We had nothing in that first aid kit that was going to do anything. Exactly. So unfortunately, and in these situations, Kevin, between your own personal situation, the everyday consumer and the father of this company is that it was an afterthought. It was 
too late, right? So now we've been given an opportunity to live on that father's legacy. And so other dads and moms or whatever it might be, not just, or not just talking about car accidents. We're talking about injuries at home. Oh yeah. Injuries in your everyday life, hiking, motorcycling, camping, fishing, hunting. I didn't already say that one. The list goes on and on. But for this specifically, I think, uh, again, with that outside perspective, you're, you're used to these smaller kits. But then when you see an accident and you get in your kit, it's like, oh, my gosh, I have nothing. If you even have anything at all. If you have a kit at all. So here's, yeah. here's some crazy. Exactly. Here's some crazy statistics for you. Let's talk Utah specifically, where I'm from, Salt Lake City. In 2021, I don't know, that seems to be the last time this was updated. Utah has more people living here now, so I'd assume these numbers are even higher than they are now. Utah saw 61,487 car accidents in one year. That equates to approximately 168 car accidents per day in Utah. Now, (laughs) let's take a look at the United States. There was 7.3 million motor vehicle accidents last year of 2022 in the United States. That equates to 19,937 roughly crashes per day in the United States. That's crazy. Just let that sit for a second. That's just and crazy. 3,700 of them are fatal. Whew. Why are they fatal? Let me tell you. Because the number one cause of preventable death, more statistics, is blood loss. You know, people don't understand when they are. I want to jump in there. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to jump in. I hate to interrupt you, but I I, want to make the point right here. You're fine. That to me is really good news because for me, when I think of medical stuff, I'm a little squeamish. I I don't really blood. I guess doesn't bother me. That you know what bothers me is is trying to help somebody and putting them in more pain. And a lot of times that's just what you have to do. You know, Mm -hmm. when, when but that that kind of freaks me out. So, you know, I didn't feel qualified to help somebody in an emergency, you know, a medical situation like this. I, I, I don't like it. I didn't feel qualified. But the idea that all I really have to do is stop the blood, that's easy. I can do that. Totally. You know, I, I, I think I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, shows where you see somebody take a screwdriver and poke through somebody's lungs and put in, you know, that kind of stuff just freaks me out. <laughs> um, and that's not what we're talking about here, right? We're, we're not talking about emergency tracheotomies on the side of the road. Negative. Again, that's the next Thessalonic care. Yeah. Stopping the blood. We're talking about that's pretty stopping simple. the bleed. Right. Especially if you have the right gear. And, and a little so again, bit of training, let's, let's right? Continue to talk about, oh, for sure. Yep. You have the training, you have the gear. So let's continue to discuss this problem um, where the number one cause of preventable death in the United States is blood loss. There's 19,000 average car accidents in the U.S. a, uh, a day. 3,700 of them are fatal. So you, when, when you, again, an outside perspective, it's like, oh, my gosh, these numbers are absolutely eye-opening. So if Utah has about 200 car accidents a day, I'd, I'd assume... Utah's a pretty average size state. I'd assume that it's everywhere. Is it is 200 or 150 plus, right? So it's 
continue talking about the problem is the government has actually issued a campaign called the Stop the Bleed campaign, which says that every car in America should have a tourniquet inside of it. Okay, now we're starting to create a little bit of a solution. So what else is the problem? The consumer doesn't know how to apply a tourniquet or doesn't know where to get a tourniquet or, or, or it's just they're afraid of what it could accidentally do. Right. So now we still have this problem and that's where the family, the owners here who lost their father realized that the everyday consumer simply wasn't prepared for an emergency. EMS 25 minutes away. Those guys are prepared. So our goal wasn't necessarily to help them feel prepared, but EMS isn't in our backyards just waiting for us to injure ourselves or following us every turn we take in a vehicle. So how do we empower each individual, not just consumers, but then maybe EMS, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but these guys have been given amazing training, but then the gear they're given, in my personal opinion, is pathetic. Oh, I'm sure. That so doesn't surprise our me. Power, um, yeah, I mean, how is that even possible? Or, or most of them, if they have good stuff, it's because they had to do it themselves with yeah. their own budget, with their own money. Right. So it's how do we empower each individual with the proper gear and training to save lives before, unfortunately it's too late. So now for the last, you know, 20 ish minutes, we've talked about this problem and that's where now we can talk about this beautiful solution that my medic has already come up with. Let me add one more so comment not, to the problem <laughs> sure, go for it. because it, it, go it, for it really makes sense when you think about it with our tribe. I live in a really small town out in a fairly rural area, but We've got an EMS department here in our little town, and the fire chief is a couple doors down. I could probably get pretty quick response most of the time where I live, even in a small town like this. But where are we most sure. likely to be farther and farther away from that kind of help? And it's pretty obvious it's on the interstates. The interstates run through really rural areas where when there's an accident out on the interstate, you might be 30 minutes away from anybody. Mm -hmm. And our drivers are out there all the time. This makes so much sense in my mind. Right. Oh, for sure. So now we're, we're moving to this solution where... You know, one number I don't have off the top of my head that I would like to share with your audience later is the amount of truck drivers on the road, specifically in your industry. How many of those people are on the road? I've talked to several truck drivers who are like, oh my gosh, like we're driving hundreds and thousands um, of miles a day, hundreds and then thousands of miles. And uh, we're coming across accidents all the time. Yes. And it's so easy to just either drive on by or, or, or to just, you know, think someone else will stop. So now we, we, what we have to do is we have to break this barrier down of, okay, well, I now realize that there's a problem. So now I know I need to go and buy a first aid kit. Let's type in Amazon.com or let's walk into the nearest Target or Walmart and let's see what they have to offer. And they're walking out with, and I'm not going to name any names because I don't want to, I'm not here to bash any of their companies. They're all great for those minor injuries. But then they're walking in thinking, perfect, here it is, $29.95, 75-piece first aid kit. It's got 50 bandages, 15 Tylenol, and 10 Neosporins. My gosh, I'm set. You can tell them that it wasn't my expertise. But anyway, so you get what I'm saying is yes. now all of a sudden these people check a box. Uh, heck Yeah. I'm prepared. I have a great first aid kit now. So 
our goal is how do we break that mentality? Because I'll, I'll be the first one to admit our first aid kits aren't cheap, but how much is the life worth to you is the real question here. Because we're not selling fear. We don't promote fear. Right. But facts don't lie. This is truth that we're talking about. These are statistics. So it's, okay, well, give me a few ways that make this 200 or 300 or whatever dollar amount first aid kit for my medic is going to be worth it to me. Okay. But let me tell you a few reasons. Number one, first off, people are going to be drawn to our kits by the way that they look. People think first aid kits and they think a light little tackle box that has a big red cross in the middle. And it's like, no, first aid doesn't have to be dull and boring. <laughs> My medic is fun. Yeah, it is. We are exciting. These first aid kits look so dang good. It's like we should be in a designing business. I agree. The aesthetics of the kits, the color-coded system, it just looks and feels phenomenal. People's very first reaction, they'll say, this is tactical. This looks like military grade. Right. Well, it's because it was designed by military men and women. So it's like, yes, thank you. You know, first off, okay, I'm drawn to this kit. It looks phenomenal. Oh my gosh, it's $250. There better be a freaking nurse in here. <laughs> well, pretty damn close. But let's, let's talk about the second thing, yeah. right? So people now open the kit and their jaws drop even more. They realize the aesthetics of the outside of the bag is molly. They can wrap it around a headrest. It's easily stowable. It can slide right under the, the seat of their car or of their truck. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, like I clearly have a place for this. It looks amazing. I can show it off to my friends. Like this is sweet. So now when they open the kit, their jaw drops even further to the ground. You know where I would put my pink is for you. Where? I would take it. It's like a backpack kind of look. I, I would want it on my passenger seat. Because, you know, truck drivers oh, most sure. of them have a passenger seat that sits over there doing nothing. What a great place. For sure. It. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, somewhere that's just easily accessible. That's why people love wrapping them around the back of their headrest or right. sliding it right underneath their seat. That's what or I'm in thinking. Or the seat yeah. right next to them. Yep. I mean, within within reachable distance is perfect. You know, I mean, because what if it's you that's injured in a car accident and you're in your freaking uh, first aid kit in your trunk or in the back of the truck? Like, uh oh. And, and these you know? first aid so kits look so good. Reachable. You, you want to see them? Oh my gosh! I want to hold it up out the yeah, window. They look exactly. so nice. People are like, "What is that?" <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but then, from this, let me let me paint this picture for you of what it looks like when you open it up. From reading right, uh, left to right, you'll notice from the top very left corner is there's a bunch. First, the very first thing you'll notice is the colors. It is so color coordinated. So if we're going to help the consumer feel confident and empowered to save lives and treat these injuries, we want to make it so easy for them. In a stressful situation, the last thing you should be doing is opening your first aid kit going, where on earth is anything? Then you're tossing everything out left and right, looking for a freaking Band-Aid or a, or a tourniquet or whatever it's going to be, right? That is the last thing you should be worried about. So you'll notice the organization and the color-coded system. We like to call it the rescue rainbow. And it's so true because you'll notice what the, the first color that comes to people's mind when they think of bleeding is going to be red or burning is going to be probably be orange. And so you'll start to see that there's red orange, yellow, green, blue, all the colors pretty much of the rainbow that are highlighting a specific ailment, yellow for medication, 
Red for bleed. Orange for burn. Green for outdoors. Purple, sprain or fracture. Dark gray for um, tools and devices. And so on and so forth. Outstanding. So they are properly labeled, properly labeled right on the top. Bleeding, burning, outdoors, sprain and fracture, airway. And then they're color-coded to match that color that you would first think of when you think of that type of ailment or injury. So I could have my 10-year-old brother, I could say, hey, go and grab the first aid kit, open it up and grab the red pack, and that will have all the items inside that I need to stop a bleed. Outstanding. Phenomenal. Outstanding. Phenomenal. And it, it's like, oh my gosh, that's so dang easy. And you it can is. see that the consumer is all of a sudden going through this mental change where they're like, okay, so clearly it looks and feels amazing. You know, the inside is extremely organized. I, I'm going to copy, Go I'm going to copy this idea. I was just thinking about this. I have, I know I'm going to go off on a weird tangent here, but there's a lesson here. Uh, I've got vehicles and buildings and stuff kind of scattered all over the place. And I do a lot of my own work on things. So I have tools everywhere and I'm always trying to keep them organized better. I can never find the right tools I need for it. I just thought about something. Why don't I organize my tools the way you're organizing this? Like I would have a separate pack inside my tool bag for electrical problems and hydraulic problems and leaks. And what a great way to organize my tools. Oh, sure. I mean, you want to know where we got this idea from? Moms. <laughs> there when you was the last time you looked at my cupboard? They're in the kitchen cupboard and the cabinets, it's all nicely labeled, all their spices and yeah. all their all their stuff. I mean, my wife is a huge organizer. Yeah, and mine so it was too. like, how do we take that idea? Exactly. Like, how do we take? I would say most men would say, yeah. Like my my wife likes organization. We might not be the best at it, but we like organization. So it's like, how do we take that idea and implement it into the first aid world? And bam, color coded system. Brilliant. So, so instead of being instead of go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, instead of like going back and forth, like if I'm a mother at home, okay, and my son has a skateboarding accident and is running inside with a scraped knee and scraped elbows, am I going to the kitchen cabinets, to my purse, to my bathroom cupboards to find a Band-Aid and Neil's Florin? Probably. Is it all in one place? How nice would it be if everything was just all in one place? Or if I'm a truck driver and I see a, an accident, and I have my first aid kit in my hand because I just ripped it off my headrest, and I have it ready to go in my hand, and I walk up to the driver of the vehicles, and I say, and I can clearly see that they're injured, and I can see bleeding, or I can see big spray, big uh, fractures. Well, what do I do? I open the pack, and I grab the sprayed and fracture, or I grab the bleeding, you know? And so it's yeah. all of a sudden, like, it makes first aid easier. It's so less stressful. Yeah. So you can already see that people are like, okay, well, this $250 kit is all of a sudden making a lot of sense. Yeah, I can do this. I don't know how to use the items inside. Right. Like, I, it, uh, as much as I love it, like, I don't know if I have the confidence to do it. Like, it's so great. So this leads me to my third topic. So, again, number one is the look and feel of the kit. Number two is the color-coded system. System. What people need to understand is that this is going to be the most organized first aid kit they'll ever have, ever, period. <laughs> And number three is the trauma items and training that come with it. 
So our partnership with Let's Truck, obviously we wanted to help your truck drivers be prepared with the trauma items. You, guys, I'll talk about the three kits that you guys are, are buying specifically, as they are literally our three best options. I'm so glad you guys went with these ones. Um, Lisa hit a home run when yeah. she was looking at which kits to, to get. So I'll talk about those in just a second. But let's dive into the trauma items. So what do I mean when I talk about trauma items? I mean a tourniquet, pressure bandage, chest seals, quick clot, compressed gauze, NPA, nasal pharyngeal airway. I'm talking wound closure devices, like like not quite sutures, not that intense, but like uh, higher-end butterfly damages. So all of a sudden, it's like, okay, well, I clearly have all this amazing gear. How the heck do I use any of it? So my medic has gone, in my opinion, way above and beyond to try to help prepare the consumer with these items. We call this the pro items, pro kit, pro items. Um, because it does. It takes a little bit more knowledge. It takes a little bit more time to to learn and want to understand. But like I did, I was a successor of my medic, like I said. Like I wanted to learn so badly. And I think these people do as well. They listen to this um, radio show and they're like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, this could be cool. Hopefully some of them are like going to be looking at the site of your guys' site and going, okay, like, yeah, this is exciting. So when someone purchases one of these flow kits that I've talked about, they're going to be given a five-piece training video segment. Not done by me. Again, remember, I'm an average Joe. Done by an 18 Delta Green Beret Army medic who has been in medicine about 26 years and counting. His name is Billy, and he is an absolute phenomenon with what he can do. I had the privilege of being trained by him side by side as he walked me through Stop the Bleed courses and CPR and much, much more. So the military has an acronym known as MARCH, just like the month, M-A-R-C-H. And this stands for Massive Hemorrhage, Airway, Respiratory, Circulation, and Hypothermia. They are in order the five fastest ways someone is going to lose their life. So it's interesting. I used to always think, like, if you came across a patient that was unconscious, what would you do? Give them CPR, right? Actually, that's incorrect. The very first thing you should do is check to see if they're bleeding. If you come across a person and they, and they have a lot of, ble- of bleeding, uh, they have blood loss, but they're not breathing, you don't jump into CPR. Because when EMS arrives, they're going to say, hey, yeah, you, you, you got a heart rate back, but the second you stop, like, he's bled out and died. So the first step you would do is stop the bleeding. And so this is what he teaches. March in order. Again, it's just so phenomenal. And he'll then show you. So this is what it is. Massive hemorrhage. This is what you're looking for. This is the item that comes inside the MyMedic First Aid Kit that you will use to treat this injury. And here's how you do it. It, I, I think I've watched it 10 times. Not kidding. And it is so inspiring. It is so empowering. So it's, so you have this step one, you, you, we, we send this link. Um, step two, ho- hopefully everyone watches it. it. It is free. It is outstandingly done. And the number two would be the back of all of the products have step-by-step instructions with descriptions and pictures. That's one, two, so three, cool. four. Instructions and pictures. So it, it's helpful for sure. Yeah. But I mean, there's there's nothing that beats the Green Beret doing these step-by-step you know, <laughs> in a video. There you go. That's right. But then number, number three is also on the back of this package. 
you will have a QR code in the bottom right corner of these products. If you scan that QR code, hopefully you're in an area where there's service. And a lot of these times you probably won't be. So this is hopefully not the only resort that you, but, but it's a last ditch effort that we made to train somebody if they were well, in an area where there's service. Let me, let me cover you that. Because again, our, our drivers are sure. primarily spending most of their time on the interstates. And I've traveled all over this country. There are very, very few places left where you could be on an interstate and not have service anymore. So it is good for them. They may be remote, so here but you the go. fact that you're near an interstate or on an interstate, which is primarily where our drivers are going to be, they probably will have service. That QR code could come in really handy. Oh, yeah. So it's like, hopefully you've watched the videos and you just need a quick refresher. Is You scan that QR code and it is a 30-second what we call quick start guide. It is a no BS straight to the point, tourniquet and stop a bleed. This is what the tourniquet looks like. This is how to apply it. Let this me, is how you know it's successful. Done. Let me interject there again, because again, I talked about the shows I watch. OP Live, they're, they're in the car with police all over the country, three hours every Friday and Saturday night. The single most used piece of first aid equipment in all the years I've been watching the show is a tourniquet. I've seen over and over and over and over a police officer gets shot happens quite regularly. Um, every other officer has a tourniquet and they're immediately applying tourniquets oh, yeah. and saving people's lives. I've, I've watched it over and over on the show. Oh, for sure. And I think people have that false stigmatism of like, Oh, if I use a tourniquet, the person's going to lose their life <laughs> or lose <laughs> no, their not limb. Not at all. Right. Lose yeah. Their limb. Actually, there's been two documented cases since tourniquets were ever evolved that, that show that a person lost that limb. They were both military and both had the tourniquets on. One of them was like 18 hours. The other was 26 hours. They were literally in the middle of nowhere. And they, they were ugly situations. You know, it was war. So in this situation, even if you're like in the middle of nowhere, you can't be more than a couple hours away from the next echelon of care, right? So... People don't under, like, put the tourniquet on. If anything, you're only going to be buying that individual time and saving their life. If their limb is completely severed, then maybe it's not savable. But I have been working at my medic again for six and a half years, and the stories that I have heard of someone using a tourniquet well, that they had from our first aid kits, putting it on another individual, and it's saving not only their life, but their limb, which it's all of them. Literally, we have not had one that I can personally remember where someone uh, caused more damage right. to that person by right. applying a tourniquet. If you're ever in doubt, just put one on, right? So the, I wish I could do more training. Like that, obviously, that's my passion. You can tell I'm getting all excited, but watch those videos. <laughs> watch those videos. It's all there. I, I was like going to go into a whole lot of tourniquet training. But I want them to go and take that initiative and be excited about it like I am. Realize, oh my gosh, like I can save a life. Like pressure bandage, quick clot, chest seals, no problem. Like I that's can right. do that now. So not only do I have my family prepared, but I, I'm more prepared on the road if there's an accident that happens to me or another person. And now I'm empowered because I can stop and do something. So then when you're applying these items and all this training, obviously you're dialing 911 to get them there. You're, you're not going to just not call 911. It's, you're putting on no, the tourniquet course, right. um, while someone else is dialing 911. So it's like now we've, been, we only we've talked about these three ways that people can break that $25 first aid kit barrier. Yeah. And I'll tell you what happens, Kevin, is that all of a sudden, people go from, well, 
I want, I, I, I started off not wanting any, and now I want three of them. Yeah. Well, one for my home, <laughs> right. my car, and then my daughter. I just went to college a month ago because all of a sudden they get it. And it, they, they realize the importance of it. And they realize that it is irrepla- a life is irreplaceable. $200 for a first aid kit that can literally save your life with all the goodies that we just talked about, the training, the excitement, all that stuff, or hey, funeral. Like, are you kidding me? You, you just gave me a great idea. So several years ago, when I first got into the whole being prepared kind of thing, um, I put together for, our, for ourselves – you know, in all of our vehicles, what we called get home bags. You know, what would happen in, in some sort of a natural disaster? Lots of things could go wrong. Uh, you're not able to use your vehicle to get home for whatever reason. Well, I have a bag that would get us home. Probably last four or five days, you know, it, it, and once I created my first one for my own vehicle, I started making them as gifts. I thought it was a great thing to give to people, to, to give them that awareness, but hand them, you know, they didn't have to do the work. It's all done. I've got everything in there. I, I think my next round of gift giving is going to be these bags. Christmas is coming I think up. that's the biggest reason why I let the truck even, that, that's why I think why Lisa reached out to me. Yeah. Is because she cares about you guys care about your truckers. You these, care about your truck drivers. These are awesome. And so that's gifts. why we're we're giving good discounts. We're giving our best kits, and it's just it is a it is the best gift ever. Yeah. So let's let's talk so, about the special. Uh, you know, I I, I got to tell you, I told yeah. people I had a guest on today, and I said we'll probably spend about fifteen or twenty minutes with them. We're coming about an hour because you and I get talking about this, oh, and dude. I just want to keep going. Yeah, sorry, I thought I had oh, an no, hour. You do, I'm so sorry. you do. I, you, you have as much time as you need. I just figured, you know, we did this once. We'll talk about a couple things, but I, there's it, it. It does get me excited, and I can hear it get you excited too. Oh, well, here is like all I think about. It's kind of crazy. I, I think there's few things less important to spend money on. You know, food storage, extra water, extra clothing, that kind of stuff. Second Amendment rights, if you're a fan of that, and yeah, then absolutely. first aid supplies, keep your family safe. We, we talk about that I, all I, the they're, time. And they're, those are the three things. Yeah, this kind yep. of wraps that up for us. We, we've got a really, really, I, what I would call the best solution for this part of it. So we're pretty happy about that. Oh, for sure. So these these three kits that, that we're offering um, to your truck drivers are literally our three best. They are so data-driven. And what I mean by that is it's not just, let's throw a bunch of crap in a first aid bag and call it a kit. <laughs> this is, what are the most common injuries that are occurring every day on our roads, in our homes, at our workplace environment, and out everyday outdoor activities? So you can see that it's extremely data-driven. So what are the most common injuries that are occurring in car accidents? You just list them out. And we're not just like coming up with these in our own heads. It is straight-up statistics. We're straight up going to the government websites and searching these things, and then they give you the access to what you need, and then you create a first aid kit tailored around that specific industry, right? So that's what we've done, is these three kits that you guys are getting from us are the MyFAC, which stands for My First Aid Kit, M-Y-F-A-K, the MyFAC Large, which is just the bigger brother. It's, just, it's got more of those same items. And then the Recon, which is the backpack style of the MyFAC Large. So here you have three of our absolute best-selling kits that are jam-packed with this beautiful color-coded system we talked about. 
the look and feel of them feel so tactical and rugged and the bags have a lifetime warranty. Um, we're getting, we're giving you these little stay alive guides is what we call them that just, you can thumb through, it can fit in your pocket. And it talks about all these special first aid tips and tricks and all that stuff. And that's coming with it. We've got a really sweet let's truck pack that comes on these as well. And I'm telling you, it's just, it's just exciting. I think I'm so impressed that you guys care so much about your truck drivers that you're willing to give them just an absolute, literally the best first aid kit on the market. In my opinion, obviously I'm a little biased. No, you're right. But it really and, doesn't get better than and, and here's our model. I mean, this is how we built our business from day one. We, we, you know, a lot of companies are built around a product. There's nothing wrong with that. We're built around a, a specific person. I mean, that, that's what our company is. We don't have a product. We're, we're built around a, a client, a tribe. And our, our business model is we, we want them to live their best life, whatever that means. There's lots of ways we can do that. And we, when we find a, a problem or an opportunity, we try to find the best solution possible. And if we can't find something we're happy on the market, occasionally we'll go create it. There wasn't good accounting software for owner operators, so we created it. We looked and looked and looked. I couldn't find anything I was happy with. I, mean, I guess we're just going to have to do this one ourselves. But we prefer not to have to reinvent oh, yeah. the wheel. We would much rather just sure. find something really good on the market and then bring it to them. And we put them in our store and we make it easy. And Lisa negotiates good pricing and, and it works. And this is an extension of that. This is an important area for drivers oh, yeah. and owner operators. Uh, Lisa started looking around on the market, found your company, and that was the end. We don't need to go any further. This is as good as it's going to get. This is exactly. the best solution there is. We don't have to recreate this. It already exists. Exactly. I couldn't agree more with what you said. Like you guys' hopes is to provide a solution. That was ours, and our solution was to save lives. Yeah. So how do we get people a first aid kit that saves lives that they actually want to carry? It's not a tackle box that doesn't have a bunch of crap inside of it. I mean, this is yeah. the real deal. You and know, we're just like you guys. One of the other ways I look at this, I, I look around in my life, and it, it's somewhat complicated. We own businesses. We own multiple properties. We've got a lot of stuff going on. And I look at how much I pay every year for insurance of all kinds. I mean, I've got homeowner's insurance and vehicle insurance and liability insurance, and I have to have insurance on my vacant lots. And I've got, I'm paying insurance constantly and I get nothing mm -hmm. for that. Never I don't get to hold it. I don't get to look at it and say, this is really cool. And my hope is that I never, ever have to use it, but I have to spend mm -hmm. all this money on it every month. Here, the, this is the cheapest, really good insurance you're ever going to buy. And my hope oh, is the same sure. thing, that I never, ever have to use it. Oh, yeah, exactly. But it's like I couldn't imagine needing it and not having it. Right. Like that fear of needing home insurance or life insurance or car insurance. And I have to pay for those every month. My I only have to buy this bag once. Right. It's a one-time thing. Yeah. And you can constantly keep it restocked and replenished yeah, with, with our easy reordering Cheap, system. Right. Yeah. It, it looks, um, yeah. I mean, so it's just like, again, like we're, both of our companies are innovative. Both of our companies are, are out here to make the roads a safer place. 
And in my opinion, we are doing just that. So absolutely. All right. Kevin, that's so, really all I have. Yeah. I don't know if you have any further questions or just, um, just the awesome specials that you guys put together with Lisa. So, um, if you buy anything from my medic this whole month, anything at all, you're going to get a copy of that stay alive guide. We're going to get that to you free. If you purchase a my medic kit by tomorrow, it looks like so, well, this is perfect timing. Everybody should just run out and do it right now. Um, you're going to be entered into a drawing to, w- to win the recon pro. Which is our best kit. That's, that's <laughs> literally the, one of our best. Awesome. That's the awesome. We're, kit we're that, giving that away. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So a uh, couple of great oh, yeah, specials. That, that one, you got to check it out. Yeah. Um, it, people should just do this because it's the right thing to do, but we'll give them a couple extra little incentives to do it today. Oh, for sure. You know, it's, we, we care about your people too. We care about everybody. So, you know, it's, at the end of the day, a lot of companies are in the business of making money and everyone wants to make money. Everyone has to pay their bills. Like I get that. Yep. But I'll tell you what, our paydays truly are when we hear stories from people who use one of these items and it doesn't necessarily have to be saving a life. We get a lot of those, but like we get, we get some from moms who are at home applying the, like oh, how yeah. easy it is. Of course. And then right. dad, dad, it doesn't just have to be truckers. It can be every aspect of their life. I agree. So, all right. Tyson, as always, thank you for your enthusiasm. I love it. Kevin, it's a pleasure. All right. I love doing these with you. All right. We will talk to you again soon. Sounds great. Thank you for, again for having me. I appreciate our partnership. I'm looking forward to talking with you guys again. Take care. All right. Phone lines are wide open. Uh, if you want to jump in here and join us, you can right now. If you don't, I guess we're going to wrap this up early today. Um, but I'm here. I'll answer whatever questions you've got. It is a free-for-all. Pick up the phone, 855-950-3835. While I'm waiting for a call to come in, uh, you know, we'll kind of go back to the the big picture of, it's a crazy world. You know, I'm trying to ignore the news. It's almost impossible. Um, The government just kicked the can down the road for what, a, a month or so on the um, the funding bills they're they're gonna temporarily fund the government for I don't know a month or so and then we'll be right back to the problem and the problem is um, the government needs to stop spending money you, you they can't raise taxes anymore that's not going to work especially in an inflationary period like this the government has got to get control of the spending and they have to start cutting spending just like the rest of us do. But it's not going to happen. The government's a mess. I don't see it being fixed anytime soon. Both parties suck. And, I, you know, we could expect a little better results, maybe, if the Republicans get complete control. Maybe. But it's not going to change all that much. They've had complete control before. And, I, you know... Maybe they do some good, but then the next election, they'll be back out. And it, it, This is a never-ending cycle. I don't see where it's going to end, honestly. I, I'm to the point now where I spend the majority of my time making sure I'm doing what I need to do for me and my family and our business and our employees. Because nobody else is going to do it. Um, I had a big note here, and I haven't really talked about it yet. Um I had a big note here that says sharpen the saw. 
and what that means to me, that's from the Seven Habits book. If you haven't read or listened to the book Seven Habits, you should do it. Um, It may be my single most important business book. And I don't know that I've said that before. It's, it's, if I have to look at all the things I've learned over the years about business, um, this was one of the most practical how-to guides. Each of the seven habits is critically important. And if you were to master all seven habits, promise you, you would be successful in life and business. No doubt about it. I don't have a master, not even close. Because a lot of these I'm not very good at, but just knowing them and understanding them. And then if I can't do it, I can pay somebody else to do it for me. And I've had to do that because I'm not good at some of these. Some of them I'm really good at. But the final habit, habit number seven, it's called sharpen the saw. Uh, there was a quote, I forget, it was some famous politician from a long time ago. I'm thinking like Jefferson or somebody, Franklin maybe. Somebody said, if you give me three hours to chop down a tree, I'll spend the first two and a half hours sharpening the saw. And anybody who's ever tried to work with a dull tool, a drill bit, a knife, a chainsaw blade, you can work your ass off to try to overcome that problem and just wear yourself out. Or you could take a little time to sharpen the saw or the tool or the ax And then the job goes much, much better. And that's really what what this habit is about, is constantly working on yourself and improvement. And the reason I bring it up now is because I can't think of a more important or critical time to do this kind of work. Improve yourself. Sharpen the saw. We're, there's not a lot of good paying work right now. It's not awful. And if you've got good freight, we'll keep running it. But I hear from a lot of people, there's not enough freight. There's not enough good paying freight. That's what happens in a downturn. This is the best time to start sharpening the saw. Surround yourself with good, positive messages over and over and over. Listen to good, uplifting positive, motivating audiobooks about business and goal setting. And, and, you know, I have said one of the reasons I believe that the health thing worked so well for me and I don't really cheat is because of all the reading I did. I, and still do. I surround myself with that positive message over and over and over. It's also why I quit listening to the news because I realized how, how, how much of an impact that was having on me and not a good way. It's the opposite of what I should be doing. Um, Yeah, I need to stay somewhat informed, but that doesn't take much time. I don't have to be watching and listening and reading the news four hours a day. Four hours a week is too much, maybe four hours a month. And then I spend the rest of the time sharpening the saw. And and I wanted to talk about this today because I need to get better at it. I'm going to do more of it. It always works. So I'm going to encourage you to do the same thing. All right. Phone lines are open. I will stay here till we run out of calls. Let's go to Wyoming. Mike, welcome. Hey, how's it going? Good. What's on your mind today? Hey, I wanted to, um, I've been listening a lot about this uh, 
broker broker BS of um, broker transparency. And I know this is another rabbit hole, but um, I agree with you. Is like uh, um, transparency is a race to the bottom. It be it make trucking all trucking just like you ship, where people yeah. are bidding on a load not to go up but to go down. Why don't people see that? And. Uh, well, yeah, I don't. And you're 100% correct on um, um, the relationships with brokers. I actually negotiated with a broker that actually told me how much he was getting. And then I negotiated a rate because I know they need to make money, too. And but my first question was, was how much are you willing to pay? And they're like, well, we want to be at this. And I was like, well, I'll go under that. And I got a job on it and uh, had 30 loads lined up because I negotiated that way. I, um, let me make a point. One of the things some people may be surprised. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm all for two people willingly sharing this kind of data to come to an agreement. I'm all for yeah. that. I just don't want anybody to be forced to yeah. have to show that. Well, they're more willing to give it up if you work with them. Of course, right. So that, yeah. that's a thing. Um, but one of the things where I've been trying to wrap my hand around this transparency law, and I kind of wonder if it was based off of when they deregulated it, um, because one of the things that is highly regulated is in the uh, the household goods and where the carrier is directly working with the shipper, which would be like a household, whoever owns a household. And those people have to be transparent on that transaction. So I'm curious if it got carried over to the broker carrier or broker shipper um, transparency, and then everybody assumes that it's the broker carrier transparency. I don't know. I, I didn't write the law. I haven't really looked that much into it, but I'm just wondering if that's where it's kind of being uh, confused. It could be. Um, there are lots and lots of things, rules, laws, regulations, practices that start for one reason. Then that reason changes, but the practices never change. We see this a lot. It happens yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah. So, it, it, yeah. And, and I, I, you know, I think it'd be a good way to go back a- and if you could figure that out. But here, here's the problem. The, there just seems to be a divide on this issue. There are people that believe they have absolutely the right to see that number. And then there's another group that say, well, who really cares? It's just not even an issue. Yeah. Um, the people that well, think that this is their right to see it, there's never any logic. When I ask them for some logic about why, it, there, there isn't any. It's just emotion. They, they just, even when I say, look, what are you going to do? If you ask a broker how much they have in the load and they show you and you find out that they're keeping 25% based on the rate they offered you, what are you going to do? How does that change anything that you I now could, know? It? I, I could care less, right. honestly. Right. So and, it, and it doesn't matter say, to me. Yet. Some of them will say, well, I'm not going to pull the load then. Okay, don't. But if you didn't know that number, why would you then pull the load? You said, you, I'll even ask yeah. them. You, they offer you a rate. You're actually okay with the rate. And then you get to see what their rate was. And now you're not going to pull the load because they're taking too much. How does that make any sense? 
You liked the rate before. <laughs> yeah. But if no, they find I, out I've owned a, I've had a, more than they think they should, all of a sudden they don't like that rate anymore. See, that's pure emotion. That's not business. It's not logical. It's not common sense. It's just pure emotion. And it's just a bad idea to run your business on emotion. Yeah, I've had a brokerage and I let it go. And what a pain in the oh. ass um, to, you know, trying to get loads lined up for a broker. And if people think it's hard to get a load, try being a broker and that get is, loads. And how many tough business, you know, it, it's yeah. And the, the, the amount of money that you make because time is money and the amount of time that you waste and then you don't even close the deal and you wasted all that time. And yeah, a lot of people forget about that. They're only looking at one load, but in the grand scheme of it all, they are not making a whole lot of money. So it, it's it, and that's how it is. It's easier trucking than the broker. So I, that was my thought. I, I t- I've talked about this running a broker, and I've I've owned lots of businesses in my lifetime: a gym, you know, a body shop, uh, you know, trucking, there lots of different things. <laughs> running a brokerage was one of the hardest things I did. You either had. Too much freight, not enough trucks. Too many trucks, not enough freight. You're always trying to keep those things in balance. And even though it shouldn't be this way, it is. And and what I mean is as a broker, you have two customers you're trying to keep happy. And it's wrong. It shouldn't be this way, but it is. The true customer is the shipper. That's who, as a broker, I should yes. be focused on that shipper and providing value to that customer. But for some reason, the way this industry has worked out, the, the owner-operator that I'm trying to get to pull the freight acts like they're my customer, and I'm supposed to please them, too. And it's, what's crazy is, like, how many times do you have a customer having to fix the um, business owners problem, right? You know, like, so like truckers, they call the broker when there's a problem, right? And how often is that done? It doesn't make sense. It's like, and I think that's where everybody gets confused of who is the customer, but the customer is who pays you. Correct. So it's like, yeah, it's so confusing. And yeah, I agree. And like, I'll tell you what, trucking is a lot easier than running a brokerage. So, it sure is. and, uh, yeah, I gave up on that and, and I was washed my hands of it. But anyways, I just wanted to run that by you and see what your thoughts were. I just think that the law is just somewhat, um, misinterpreted, I guess is more than anything. And I don't know, I didn't write it and I don't really pay attention to it anymore. So, cause I don't care. Um, what brokers pay me as long as I accept the rate. I don't care what the rate is as long as it works for me. So there you go. But anyways, you have a good day. Thank you very much. All right. Great stuff. Um, from what I gather, I don't, we're not live. Uh, that must be why we're not getting calls. Uh, so I guess uh, we were trying to figure this out in the background, but uh, okay. Now we're live. Okay. All right. Uh, so if we're live now, we weren't, I guess. There was a replay playing. We're not sure why. I couldn't find anything wrong on my end. Uh, so if you weren't listening and now you are uh, and you want to call in, we're still here live. Um, I'll stay as long as we've got questions. And it looks like, okay, there we go. Now the phones are ringing. 
I have no idea why we weren't uh, why we weren't live there for a little bit. Everything looked fine on my end. I'm broadcasting. The internet looked good. Must have been a sunspot, or the Chinese are hacking us again, or something along those lines. So we will. Uh, calls are starting to come in. It looks like they're going to pile up on us here. So I will stay, and we will answer them because that's what we do here. Um, while we are waiting, we're screening some calls right now. Let me look through my notes. What else did I have that I wanted to talk about? Uh, oh, I know what I'm going to... I am going to be doing these group coaching calls. I'm going to be helping people get back into business or get into business because I think the timing's right. We're heading into a downturn. Um, I, I'd love to start a business as close to the bottom as I can when it looks like it's going to climb out. So now would be the time to start helping people. Um one of the things I'm going to be looking for, if anybody comes across something like this, let me know. I've looked at a bunch of them on the internet. Most of them are just suck. And I haven't had a lot of time yet, but I am looking for some sort of a test, quiz, evaluation to help determine if somebody has a good entrepreneurial mindset. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my program and go back to the beginning and, and create some new stuff. I'm pretty good at talking to somebody, and if I can ask them enough questions personally, I can tell whether they'll make a good entrepreneur or not. And I've done it for years and years and years, and I talk about it all the time. I'll predict, you know, that caller's going to knock it out of the park. I just know it. That caller's going to fail. I'm pretty good at picking the winners and the losers when it comes to getting into business, especially as an owner-operator. Uh, but I want to get better. I, I want to be able to maybe pick those people without me doing a personal interview. Uh, most of the stuff I've looked at pretty quickly on the internet is is just so surface. Uh, I'm thinking something as in-depth as like a NutriQ. Um, the the one personality profile that I've recommended over the years is the Strengths Finder. Um, that one works pretty good, but it doesn't really, it's not clearly designed to pick out entrepreneurial traits. So I have a feeling there's something out there. I just have to go find a really good one. So if you're aware of anything, send it to me and I'll check it out. Let's go to South Carolina. Terrence, welcome. What's up, Kev? So uh, I just turned 59 on... Friday, and so I Happy decided for some stupid thank you for some stupid reason I was going to have pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and let me tell you something, Kevin. <laughs> I had the pizza Friday night. I got up Saturday and went to get out of bed, and I could barely walk. I mean, crazy? the, the inflation—I I don't know what I was thinking, Kevin. I have no idea. But I tell you one thing for sure: I am not having to ever have pizza again. I'm convinced that it's, it's, it was not worth the, 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 you know, the pain and the, and just the, 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 the sluggish feeling. And I was like, and you know what was worse about it? The, I, the place was supposed to be great. It was great pizza. That's not why we went there. We beat there before, but the pizza wasn't that good. I wouldn't mind if it was really good pizza. And I was like, <laughs> all right, you know what? It was somewhat worth it, but. Oh my God! So I, I just—it's just amazing. And what I ended up doing was, 
thank God I had some enzyme forte at the house. There you go. When I got, as soon as I got up out of bed, I took like about 12 of them. I mean, it took probably about two hours or so, but it helped a lot. It just was like, but just the, you know, I, I will so anyone say, out there with the greens are big. I will say this, um, when it comes to pizza and I think, you know, I love pizza. I think we all do. It's just, uh, just a great food. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty surprised that I will occasionally, and we have a couple places, I will occasionally get a gluten-free pizza. And I, I don't even want to look at the ingredient list because it, it's probably got stuff I don't really want. I'm sure of it. So I don't look. But I will say this. I can eat gluten-free pizza from most places and have no negative side effects at all. I, it just doesn't bother okay, me. I'll have to do it. Yeah, it, it and um, there are some people out there doing some really good gluten-free crusts now. Most of them are going to have rice flour in them, so they're not grain-free crusts. They're gluten-free. Right. If you want a grain-free crust, you, you can do it. There's some good grain-free on the market, but it's not going to be like pizza. The crust is never going to be like what you think of as a pizza crust. It's going to be more like biscuit almost i mean it, it you can't really get it crispy and crunchy the rice flour is what allows you to get that kind of crispy so uh, we've got a little place that's actually really close to our new property um that makes an outstanding gluten-free pizza crust it's incredible and i, I can eat it you know even as much as once a week and not really have any negative effects from it Oh, cool. Yeah, cause this, like I said, I, I've done the cauliflower and stuff, and I don't mind that at all. Yeah, but they did right. have a gluten-free yeah. on it, but I was like, ah, you know, I'll just try it. And, oh, I regretted it. Yeah, you so, know. Uh, like you said, some grains, man. Oof. You know, when I was uh, hanging out for a couple of days with Dr. Wilson, I, I was surprised at how often he ate, like, a, you know, he had a gluten-free bagel for breakfast. Um, and he said, he, you know, that stuff just doesn't bother him and he enjoys it and he doesn't see any side effects from it. I don't eat it a lot. I mean, I, I don't go for bagels and bread and cause I, I don't miss that stuff, but I miss pizza when I was not eating pizza at all. I missed it. So I'm back now and I'll either do, you know, a grain free crust now and then, or like I said, the gluten free crust, I just don't see any problems with them. All right, I'll let someone else get in there, but foo, man, it was rough. Thank God for Enzyme Forte, though. <laughs> there you go. All right, good, good stuff. All right, guys. Let's head off to uh, Oregon. Sarah, welcome. Hey, Kevin, how's it going today? It's going well. Thank you for all the help on the farm yesterday. I appreciate it. Oh, it was my pleasure getting getting hands in the dirt. It's great for the soul. Wasn't um, uh, speaking of getting in, hands in the dirt? Wasn't that dirt pretty incredible? Soil. We we should call that soil. Was, like you say, like chocolate cake. It's it was moist and yeah, almost luscious. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. So, I, you know, I I've been working on my soil for a couple of years, and I've talked about how much it, it improved. But um, I, I think she was working on that soil over there for about forty years, and you can tell. And it, I, both I, of I us. Both of us were commenting on the size of the plants. Like she had a broccoli plant that the base of it was the size of a, a good sized tree. It was so big. And the color and the the when we were cutting the, the squash, <laughs> the, the stem 
also the squash. When you when you cut them, water just poured out like a hose. Yeah, it was really weird. It was that. Yeah, you have to believe that that's because that soil can hold so much water in a good way. Yeah, it, it, it was amazing. It was, it was just a beautiful day. And I, I want to remind you something of, though, you're just talking about you can't get a pizza crust without the the, um, the saver tooth, the pumpkin oh. flour pizza crust. If you like this, is a thin, crispy crust. We piled an inch of 45-55 beef on there from... Um, from U.S. Wellness Meats, along with shredded cheese. And it was still crispy the whole way through. You are right. I got to go back to that. I I forgot about that product. I kept trying other things, and I forgot to go back to that one. That is a really good one. They use pumpkin flour. Is that what it is? Pumpkin flour? Yeah, pumpkin flour. And they're close, too. They're right in northern Idaho. Oh, cool. Yeah, I got to go back. You're right. That that is um, by far the best grain-free crust I've ever had. Yeah, and it's a it's a small company right in I think Wallace, right in North or Kellogg, right in northern Idaho. Yeah, all right, good. That was a really great. great. But what? what I called in about you were just talking to the guy from my medic. Yeah, we we got our bag in the mail, and oh my gosh, I mean the way you described it, everything is here. I could you could I, I'm just amazed. I keep finding more and more pockets. And more and more, I mean, you could put <laughs> shoulder straps and, 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 and a harness and the, the capabilities it has to help somebody and be of help. Just grab it and run up to whatever is going on. I mean, I know when I worked at a camp when I was younger, every year we had to take first aid, at, you know, be certified in first aid at the beginning of the camping season before the campers showed up and we started just in case. I mean, I, w- I was attending a nature leader working outdoors. Yeah. A lot of stuff can happen outdoors campers. So we, we took we took this course. We learned how to do tourniquets. We learned how to do all this stuff. And then the first aid kits that they gave us didn't give us the capability <laughs> to, to do the things we trained. Yeah. And I'm glad. I ne- the only thing I ever had to use from that course that I learned was the Heimlich maneuver, which I did successfully, so that was great. But but we didn't have the tools to do what they taught us in case we needed to. And this one of these bags in our in our camper's van for overnight would have been just amazing to have. And and I I really do like the idea of having these in the trucks on the road and maybe a, a magnetic uh, you know, first aid kit, you know, pr- professional first aid kit sign. We can just throw on the side of our truck, um, you know, that you can move from, you can move the magnet from vehicle to vehicle as you take your bag with you to, from your truck to your car, to your oh, yeah. vacation rental and all that stuff. Yeah, I like that. That, that would be real. And you know what they need? Um, I know there's a QR code on everything in this bag to teach you. So when you're just sitting waiting for a load or waiting to get loaded, you can scan the QR code and and learn all about it but what if there's no cell signal is there is there a book that might be available that you could just quick go to i thought i saw something yeah there's several uh, things i think i lisa's probably more up on all the details like i there you know the the bag has so many ways and he talked about a couple that that 
you're really never left with nothing. You know, there, there's always something there. And then we have the, um, right now, if you buy anything, you get that guide. That guide's really helpful. So there, there are just, they have done an excellent job on really simple, easy to understand instructions on all of this stuff. Like I said, every product, there's, there's a, at least a couple little pointers. The QR code, if you can use it, is there. They've got you know, training and we've got a guide we're giving away. So they are, and it's, it's why their partnership works so well for us. They, they are as much of an education company as they are a, a, you know, first aid product company. Yeah. I think, I think the QR codes are good for learning ahead of time. And I see um, there's a promo for the whole month of October. Anytime that you, somebody. Oh, we lost you. You still there? Uh oh, Sarah. Ooh, Sarah, I'm going to put you back in the queue. Uh, I don't think you were done. We'll see if we can save that line. Um, Morgan, if you could check Sarah's line and see if we can get her back. Uh, and I'll grab another call for a minute. We're going to go to Oklahoma. Paul, welcome. Howdy. What's on your mind uh, today? I I heard the. Oh, lots of things, but I heard the start of the show, but then I had to take care of some stuff, so I missed most of your guests. But the one thing that I did hear, and I wish the government would live true to their own shit they put out there, <laughs> stop the bleed. Yeah, that would be a really good idea. That would be a good motto for them to follow as well. Sure would. Not yeah. just yeah, not just for first aid. Yeah. So, but um, I'm uh. That first caller you had this one, I think it was the first, the guy with the two trucks, but sort of only uses one of them. Right. With the Peterbilt, with, with, he should just sell that 379 because he getting worse fuel mileage than I'm getting. Uh, that's, that's what I was talking about. Um, I, you know, here's, here's the good news. Yeah. The guy started with his own authority in 07, and he's still around. I mean, yep. he's going to make he it. He must have done He'll, something, right? Yeah, yeah he, it, but I, I, I'm a little worried that with two trucks now that aren't paid for, they're getting horrible fuel economy. Fuel prices are going up. Rates are going down. There's less and less work. He might not survive this one. He's, he's you know, yeah. if you go back to 07, when we start a business, a lot of times we're a lot more conservative. We don't need as much revenue. We, we can squeak by. You know, he made it through that first recession um, and he's still around. I'm just a little worried this is going to take out people like him that are good at business but made a couple bad decisions, and, and it now catches up to him. And I would not want to yeah. be going into a recession with what he's got. Yeah, well, 5.3 miles per gallon out of a three – well, out of anything is terrible well, if you ask me. But Well, right now you're yeah. looking at a dollar a mile in fuel cost. That's insane. That the freight rates will not support that. Yeah, well, uh, my my cash price on my fuel, you know, I track it in the app. I'm at seventy one cents a mile because if I work on the weekend, I don't know what my discount price is, so I just put the cash price in and then yeah. work it out later. But yeah. I'm probably at about sixty three cents a mile for fuel. As a car with my hauler. parachute, and and he's at a yeah. buck a mile, and he's got two truck payments. You're to crazy, make. right? Yeah. So I drove past. I just happened to be drive past um, 
the international dealer in Oklahoma City, and it's like, oh, look at all those yellow, mostly day cab, day cab trucks, yellow internationals. <laughs> and it's like, oh, loves loves must loves must be buying some some uh, internationals. Well, then I go past the Freightliner dealer, and it's like they must be getting ready to renew all their fleet, or you know, they're renewing trucks because there was quite a few internationals at the international dealer, but there's way more Freightliner Cascadias. Some sleepers, some day cabs. So oh. Loves is getting ready to Must uh, be. renew a bunch of their Must be. fuel tankers. But Yeah, you know, yeah, so. I, I've never understood fleets that I, I get why it happens sometimes, <laughs> but I don't really understand why fleets mix their trucks like this. If you look at one of the best models I've seen on this issue is Southwest. Southwest, for the most part, buys one kind of airplane, and that's it. Same model, same manufacturer, yep. same everything, year after year after year after year. And they are, well, Southwest used to be successful. One of the most successful companies around. I swear the government went after them. I've never seen a company fall apart so fast. Probably. Yeah, I, I, there's something else that happened there. That company fell apart so fast during the pandemic, and that they have been run so extremely well for 60 years, and now all of a sudden they're a mess. So, something happened. I don't know what it is, but there, there's a conspiracy theory there somewhere. Um, but one of their, their, if you just look at their business model, they did a lot of things really right. And by having one plane for the most part, they cut their cost and their hassles way down. And I don't understand why trucking yep. fleets don't do more of this. It seems to me like most of these fleets are just sucked in by whatever deal they can get. If International offers them a bigger discount than Packard did, then they're going to buy Internationals this time. And then they go to replace yeah. part of their fleet. Yeah, well, and Freightliner gives them a great deal. And pretty soon they have this mixed fleet that is just a mess to try to maintain. Yeah. Yeah, well, they maybe they've gone out of Peterboots because I didn't see any Peterboots at the Peterboot dealer. <laughs> <laughs> but... um. I know, I know they have had Peterbilt's previously. That's but, what I mean. It's a, you yeah. see these fleets that end up with Each every own, kind yeah. of truck made. And look, I get it. There might come a time where you decide to switch, but it, that's not what I see. I see these fleets year after year after year just buy whenever they're ready to buy some trucks. It's like they put a proposal out there and whoever comes up with the best deal, that's all they care about. When, yeah, yeah. If yeah, they the would just line, sharpen up your pencil, well, yeah, yeah how much we would get per truck? Yeah, yeah, that's all they care about. But yeah. what they're not looking at is what a mess that makes of their ongoing cost and maintenance. And when you when you have the same truck over and over and over, year after year after year, and it's good specs, you also get really good at knowing how to maintain them and keep them running. But if you're constantly dealing yeah. with some new manufacturer and a new truck and another engine and different filters, and what a mess for your drivers and mechanics. And then these, these fleets, yeah. a lot of them get their trucks serviced out on the road at the worst places. And now you're running them with multiple different trucks and engines and just a really bad practice. Yeah. So when I was over in Chattanooga on Friday, I slept there Thursday night. So Friday morning, I get up, and I'm getting loaded. Another truck from the same company I'm leased to, he's there. <clears throat> but 
he didn't, he seen me around many a times, but he didn't realize that I was leased to the same company. And he's like, oh, you got, you got a new trailer? Yeah, yeah. And he says, so you're getting a new truck? I said, eventually. And he said, so you got your own authority? I said, no, I'm leased to the Supreme like you are. And he's like, uh, yeah? Because I got my name way bigger letters than I got their name. <laughs> yeah, so right. It's my truck. Yeah. So we start talking, and, and he asked how long I've been there, and I said, oh, 19 plus years as an owner operator. And he's like, well, that's, that's a pretty, it's good to know that someone can stick around at one company for that long. Yeah. I said, it ain't for everybody, but it works for me. So then the, our terminal guy that's over there, he comes over and he's chiming in and talking about trucks and everything. So my truck's got one and a quarter million miles on it. And so I'm sort of the, I'm the oldest newer truck in the fleet, probably like out of the emission stuff. Okay. So this this guy this this guy that's over this terminal he helps take handle the guys on their maintenance and you know make sure they keep them on track with schedule maintenance and everything like that. And he said, "Yeah, you guys should take a leaf out of this guy's book because his truck got way more miles than most of your guys' trucks, but he has way less breakdowns than just about any of you." So yeah, that was quite a compliment. I thought. So, there you go. Because a lot of there's trucks that are there's trucks that are in the coming up on the end of the warranty half a million miles because they don't. I tell them about the catalyst, but they oh no, I'm not spending that much money for that. Okay, just take it to the and they keep going. Definition of insanity: go back to the same place and expect a different result because that's yeah. what a lot of them do. But exactly, so, yeah. So not everybody can be smart. So. Well, they could be if they just work well, at I'll it, let I you think, carry anyway. On. But that's a, that's a whole nother show. We'll uh, we'll get to another call. Let's go to Nebraska. Frank, welcome. Good afternoon, Mel. I am getting ready to go into business for myself and been working on getting things set up, uh, LLC, about to get my business, banking accounts, things like that. I plan on using your profit gauges for my Accounting. Okay. But I've been looking at doing my own payroll. I've, I've contacted a couple different places, and it looks like anywhere from 65 to $100 a month to have somebody do payroll. But if I'm, if I'm the only employee, I was considering doing it myself, and I wanted to get your take on that. If, it, if you think it's worth paying somebody to do it, or they're going to file everything with depends. the IRS or... Yeah, it, it, it depends okay. on... And there's several levels of service you can buy. Um, I, believe it or not, I chose pretty early on to pay somebody else to do payroll. And the reason being, I hate dealing with the government. I hate forms. I hate paperwork. I hate dealing with the government and it's just having one employee, I have to have, you know, state, I got to deal with the state on things like workers' comp and state tax. So now I have to go set up all those accounts at the state level. Then I have to deal with the federal government on Social Security and Medicare and the other stuff. So I got to go set up those accounts and withholding. And there's multiple forms that have to be filed every quarter. I hate that stuff. I'm bad at it. Um, so I made the decision not long after I hired my first employee a long, long time ago, I'm paying somebody else to do it. I, I just hate that stuff. So it really depends if you're okay with it. If you like it, 
if you don't mind filling out the forms and dealing with, you know, three or four different agencies every quarter and making sure this stuff's right, then you should do it because you could save yourself some money. Um, I, I, there are plenty of things I can work on in my business. I'd rather let somebody else do this one, but it, it's really just and that's- it, in business. I, I would say this just in general, when you own a business and then when you get employees, that's another big step. There's a lot of stuff that has to happen in that business. It's almost impossible to do it all yourself. So you should be picky. And I've talked about this a lot in the past. As good as I was at mechanical things and as much as I liked doing mechanical stuff, I also gave that up early on. I I just did not think it was a good use of my time. So now if I had to, of course I would do my own work. Um, this last trip on my coach, my God, I did more mechanical work than I have in years. But when I owned the trucks, I, I didn't want to be turning wrenches on the weekend. So I, I paid somebody to do that. So one of the things for a good entrepreneur to do is sit down and list out all the things that have to be done to make your business successful and then figure out what you want to do and what you're going to pay somebody else to do. That makes sense. And I, one of my biggest fears of doing this is not knowing what questions I should be asking. You you're, know, it's, you're right. I feel There's... like I've done a lot of research. I listen to you. But it's what questions should I be asking that I don't know to ask? That's that's the so biggest that's why I'm reaching trouble. out on something like this. Right. With all these things is we don't know what we don't know. And unfortunately, and this is why when it comes to government kind of stuff, I just pay somebody else because I've done the research. I've read through page after page after page of regulations about an issue. And I'll say, oh, I got this, except There's also some other manual somewhere that the government puts out with other stuff you're supposed to know about this issue. Well, I didn't know about the other manual. I read this one and thought I knew what I was doing. The government's horrible for this. So that's why government stuff, I always let somebody else do it. Yeah, and that's that's kind of my my fear is I don't want to be messing with IRS or any of that kind of stuff. And $65 $65 a month is not a whole lot of money, even though it is just for one it's not, employee really. being myself. Yeah, it, it's not. Here's the other thing so. I will tell you. You know, the IRS is very, very forgiving when you don't pay your personal taxes. I think they're way too forgiving. They allow people to go years and years owing taxes and not even making payments. I've watched it over and over and over and people get in trouble because of it. But I will tell you this, they do not play around with employee payroll taxes. You screw up on employee payroll taxes and they are coming down hard on you. Well, I think you just helped me make up my mind because that's, that's been the, the, one of the things I'm having the hardest time finding information on because everywhere I look, kind of like you said, everything is contradictory. Yeah. So yeah, they, I, I, I think, will tell you this, they do, you not, said, they do not play around with payroll taxes. You're messing around with somebody else's money now. If I mess up my own payroll, and that's what this is, but they look at all of the payroll reporting, they do not play around with that. They come down hard on people when you screw that up. Well, I appreciate your time, and I'll let you get on to the next person. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Pennsylvania. I'll also let you know we've got some lines open. As a matter of fact, this is my last call, so if you want to jump in, now would be the time. Peter, what's on your mind today? 
Hi, Kevin. Um, I was did my uh, one-on-one with Lauren this morning, and we found a few things that I need to change, which are going to get changed. Good. But I forgot to ask her, what is, when is too much salt uh, in, in your diet? And it's not really a question, but maybe you might know the second one. We have this old Chinese fellow that lives down the street, and he said to me a few weeks ago, when you spit and it sprays all over, you're not healthy. But when it comes out like a bullet, you're healthy. I've, I've never heard of that one before. Well, there's a reason you've so, never heard of it. That is it, one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. Seriously, okay. in fact, not only is it not helpful... It's probably completely wrong. He's almost, I'm almost thinking about this backwards. I don't want to get too gross here, but if I spit right now, the only thing I'm going to spit is saliva and it's, it's probably going to spray more. It's just saliva. But if I have congestion and I hawk one up, well, yeah, I can send that thing off like a missile. Why does that mean I'm healthy? seems like the opposite. Why am I hacking stuff up? That's what I thought. So the logic doesn't even make any sense, but the whole idea is just completely ridiculous. Just ignore that. Okay. There's zero basis in truth for that. Now, the salt. This one's interesting. I have never worked with somebody, talked with somebody, talked with another practitioner. I've never found somebody who was consuming too much salt and there were effects of it. Okay. So I have no idea what too much salt is. I've never seen a case where somebody was eating too much salt and it was a problem. Now, that I'm talking about people who eat the way we eat. If you eat the standard American diet, all those people are getting too much salt because it's in all the processed food and it's all garbage salt. That's an issue. But once you start eating clean, eating carnivore, keto, paleo, and you're using a good quality sea salt, um, I, I, I don't, I've never seen anybody that I could look at and say, oh, they're, they're eating way too much salt. Here's the problem. I, I don't think that a healthy human body could consume too much salt. I think it self-regulates. Yeah, that, that was my thinking as well, because I thought back to the old sad diet where you had all that extra salt, you were also extra thirsty. Yeah. But since I've been doing the keto for four and a half years, I put salt on everything and all on my meats when I'm eating and my eggs and bacon and everything. But I don't have that, that's too much salt taste in my mouth. Correct. It's like, salt's there, but that's fine. Yep. I, I, I believe that salt and, and most minerals for humans are self-regulating. It, it's why we can do the taste and score mineral stuff. Your body gets enough of that mineral and all of a sudden it does not taste good anymore. You don't want to consume any more of it. Right. Right, you broke up a little bit there. Anything else I can help you with? Uh, no, I'm going to uh, get myself the uh, glucose monitor, continuous monitor. Excellent. Lauren thought that would be a good idea. I concur. Uh, it seems like I was. Seems like 
my mysterious one pound a week uh, weight gain might have been from just the stuff that I thought was good keto, that, uh, as in drinks, uh, weren't that good in keto. So if I'm, I'm just going to cut all those out and see what that happens and uh, get the glucose monitor and uh, get an X-bar. But I don't think I was doing enough exercises or proper exercises. Yeah, there you go. And then uh, we'll do that for a few months and then we'll uh, get another call into uh, Lauren and redo everything and see what, what, what comes of it. Perfect. All right. Good stuff. Thanks for the call. We're going to grab another one. We're going to head off to Wyoming. If you want to jump in now, there are lines open. I'll hang out here a little longer if you've got questions. 855-950-3835. Dan in Wyoming, welcome. Hi, Kevin. I have some questions. My boss is looking to replace a 2014 Freightliner that we have that's been a money pit but he's replacing it with a 2020. Um, I wanted to go over a few of the specs and see what we can expect. Okay. Um, it's got the, it's a 2020 that he's uh, getting. It's got the DD 15 instead of the Cummings ISX. Uh, it has the 12 speed automatic um, Detroit transmission, as far as I know. And I talked to the salesman myself and he said it has the 279 rear ends. Okay. We're usually running, and our speed varies from 65 to 75, depending on, you know, the load and if it's got to get there. Um, that, that truck, where is the RPM range? What is optimum for that engine to be running at, the DD-15? I'm not going to know unless you can tell me what the final ratio is on that 12-speed. There are several different models, yeah. and the final ratio means everything. Without it, I, I'm not even going to answer because it's just pure speculation without that number. Yeah, the sale, the, the only thing, I'm waiting for the salesman to actually fax me this, or excuse me, email me the spec sheet. And uh, he was telling me that at 70 mile an hour, it should be doing 1,350 RPMs. That's it's got 279 sick. rear ends, that's but I don't know what the trans is. Yes. So at 70. He said it should be about 1,350. Oh, okay. I thought it was thirteen hundred last time. Thirteen fifty, about. So again, um, I could look at this and say it should be a double overdrive. That that should be about a point seven three final ratio. Uh, so this truck spec'd pretty well for what you're doing. It, it it we could make it better, but this isn't awful. It's better than most. You could. You could run this truck down to 60 even. You could run this truck down to 55. I think some of the gears might work out pretty well. Uh, so overall, this truck is, I, I'm going to say it's probably far better spec than the the ISX was and will be a lot less trouble maintenance-wise and should be significantly better fuel economy. That's what I was wanting. Wondering mainly about the the DEF issues, you know, the emission issues. You know, I wanted to see if we're going to be running at the correct RPMs. I listened to you guys on Friday, and you guys are always talking about, you know, piston speed and temperature and and everything and making sure you're in the right RPM range. Keep keep this in mind. 
Piston speed is critically important. It's why we talk about it. But we can affect piston speed only a little. Piston speed is more based on the engine architecture. And the ISX does not have good architecture to create low piston speed. It just doesn't. It's not built right. The DD series is much better for this. The Volvo is the best platform. I mean, that's why we talk about the Volvo engine the way we do. It was built in a way that allows for low piston speed. The other trucks, we can do it some, um, but the the ISX and the PAC car um, are about the worst. The Volvo Freightliner and now International's new engine may, may be another option for us. We're kind of encouraged. That's because... There's some senior management that left Volvo and went to International, and they took their ideas with them. Um, but for me, it's it's why oh. I, I won't buy a truck with an ISX or a PAC car. It, it, the architecture is wrong, yeah. and we can't change that. And you can't make up for it with gearing. You know, if we have a low horsepower engine, we can at least make some improvements with gearing. When we're trying to get this low piston speed, it, it, there's not a lot we can do. Once the engine is built, that that limits us. And we've talked about the connecting rod, the shorter, um, the difference in stroke, and, and that's what matters. And, and once we buy an engine that wasn't designed that way, there's nothing we can do. Exactly. Well, I'm definitely encouraged. Uh, this is supposed to be set at 455 horsepower, so it's like mid-range. It's the max is supposed to be like 505, but they said it was set at 455. So he's putting a new driver in, into this, and hopefully um, it's going to be an all all around good truck because that, that's what we need. With that 2014 with the emission problems with the Cummins, oh, that was wretched. Geared totally wrong. So thank you very much. You, you definitely eased my mind. You're welcome. Yeah, this this sounds like a huge improvement over the last truck. Uh, much, much better. Is it ideal we'd have to go through, you know, the operation, the speeds, the weights? We could probably pick a better gear, but this one's better than most. Um, this truck, you will be able to operate this truck in a way that should keep the emissions fairly healthy and should keep the fuel economy good. Um, all right. It looks like we're uh, we're out of calls. We're going to wrap this up for the day. Uh, the rest of the week looks pretty normal. The one thing uh, I'm not sure of right now, I'm just going to play it by ear this week, uh, are the spaces. Uh, I might be able to squeeze in a couple spaces this week. We'll see how it goes. One of the things that could change things for me right now, I've got to spend a lot of time over at the property. Uh, the chickens need taken care of, and we're not going to be moving in there anytime soon. Um, I've got a couple of pieces of equipment that I'm waiting on to get my Starlink mounted in the right place over there. I've got my Starlink working, and I can work from over there, but I, I don't trust it yet to do a show. I, I may take some equipment over there today and test it. Um, once I get the some parts in and I can get the receiver mounted where I want it. I need some cables and some mounting hardware. And once I get that done, if I could do the show from over there, uh, 
that would free up some of my time to go back to doing some spaces again. So this week, we'll be playing it by ear. Next week, we should be back on schedule. Um, but then I also have to hit the road. I'll probably be gone two weeks. And during those two weeks, I will tell you, I'm not going to be doing spaces at all. Now, I need the drive time. I, I need to get ready for the presentation, and I need to be doing a lot of driving. So every hour uh, during those couple of weeks is going to matter. So I, I will try to bring the spaces back here for the next week or two, and I'll keep you informed. Other than that, we have a pretty normal week. Uh, we should be here every day for the shows. I don't think we have any more guests this week, but I'll have to double check. All right. We will see you back here tomorrow for the Power Hour. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.